good to see you all this morning. Good to be together, good to worship, and uh, I'm not going to go uh, to uh, Galatians straight away, but if you just want to be there, if you want to have your Bibles open around around uh, around Galatians, we'll spend most of our time there. I'm going to just introduce it a wee bit. Really miss Bridget this morning with with uh, with my bottle of water. Thanks, Jason. And we're continuing on in a, in a series that we've entitled Church, Why Bother? And um, I suppose one of the big thoughts that we are, I think there's a few themes that we are going to carry right through this, these weeks and months that we're, that we're looking at this. The big idea, one of the big ideas is the, the, the meaning of this word, that Jesus, we've said already, Jesus uses this word three times. Um, three times in two verses. Um, and then Paul mentions it right throughout his letters. And it's already said in our, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament, it's that ecclesia word that is used for the assembly of, of God's people. Anytime that, anytime that God's people gathered together, it was the ecclesia. And it's, it's always been with this idea that the ecclesia are called out people for, uh, called out for the welfare of a town, a city, a region, or a nation. And, uh, and I just continue to, to repeat that because I think it's so important. I think it's a really important that we catch uh, the, this idea. Because when it's talked about, the, there's times whenever the, the, the gathered, like Moses has just gathered the people as they are making their way through the, the desert. There's times whenever he's called Abraham out. He's called Abraham out to bless him so it would be a blessing to the nations. And he, again, it's this ecclesia. It's this idea of being called out for the welfare of another place, the welfare of a particular region. And so what we're, what we're doing, at least over the next six weeks, is that we're going to see how this has worked out in, in uh, using six words that we mentioned right at the start. Love, grace, the table, holiness, newness, and flourishing. And so uh, Amy led us, Amy took us, through, um, took us through this idea of love last week wonderfully so and she brought us to first corinthians and told and and she said last week that the undercurrent in the whole letter that paul was writing to this church was trying to show the lack that, that what, what disorder a lack of love creates the undercurrent through the whole letter is that a lack of love creates disorder it creates disunity it creates chaos and paul is is trying to remedy that. And in his famous words, tells us what love looks like. And today, we're going to go to the second word out of these, these six words that we've really felt uh, the Lord place on our heart for, these, for this time. And it's this word, grace. 
And for me, in the same way that Amy thought that the love was this undercurrent through the whole letter of Corinthians, I think that the idea of grace is the undercurrent that uh, is through the whole of this letter to the churches in Galatia. So not just one church. This is to the this is to the churches. This is important that every every flavor of church, every gathering of people, gets and the idea of what Paul is trying to communicate here. And really simply, really simply, how I want to define this idea of grace throughout this morning is that the Father looks at all of us and says yes. How we, how we define grace. And I know that there's some incredibly powerful theological definitions of grace, and I would not disagree with them. Like the, the best of theologians have defined grace wonderfully. And, and if I was to ask you, I think we would hear that language of unmerited favor, like a sense of unworthiness and uh, undeserving and, and all of that. And I would not disagree with any of that. Not, don't, don't walk away saying that I'm disagreeing with that. But I think it, it, it runs deeper than that. The, the definition goes beyond just that idea of unworthiness. It, at the core, first of all, before anything else, it's that it begins. It begins on his yes. It begins on his unconquerable love for us. And so when we think of grace, and I think, I think as we go through the letter of Galatians, we see that Paul is trying to communicate to everybody. The Father looks at all of us and says yes. His yes is for us all. And you know why I think that is so important? Because I think that becomes our foundation for learning to say yes to those who are different from us. That becomes the foundation uh, for, for, that becomes our foundation for learning to say yes to those who disagree with us, for those who are, who we think are so far removed from, from Jesus. I think it's important for us to know that every person that you'll encounter, every person that you will ever come across, God's yes, God has said yes over them. He looks at all of us and says yes. And this was a wrestle right throughout, right throughout the ministry of Jesus. There was a real wrestle went on. Jesus was caught up in the, in the wrestling through some of this with the religious elite of the day. Because the coming of Jesus and the life and the ministry of Jesus meant that Jews had to learn to say yes to Gentiles. And we still, I still don't think we get how, how huge that was, how difficult that was. But to understand the ministry and the life of Jesus, to understand the desire and the heart of Paul, even as he's writing through this letter, is that Jews had to learn to say yes to Gentiles. In this patriarchal culture that, that, that the church was, was being birthed in, it was so important that men had to learn to say yes to women. That was really important. And it was really important that the rich had to learn to say yes to the poor. And we see that throughout Paul's, we see that throughout Paul's letter. We see it actually right at the beginning of the church when the Holy Spirit was poured out. He was poured out on all flesh. The Holy Spirit was poured out on Jew and Gentile. The, the Holy Spirit was poured out in man and woman. The Holy Spirit was poured out in rich and poor. 
And Paul, Paul summarizes it really well when he says, there is, now, there is now neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither male nor female. There is neither rich or poor, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. And that was a real, that was a process, that was a lengthy process that, that went on at the beginning of the church, was Jews learning to say yes to Gentiles, men learning to say yes to women, and rich learning to say yes to the poor. This is, I think, at the, at the heart, the foundation for our, uh, for our understanding, this idea of grace. I had the, the absolute joy of, uh, of conducting the ceremony of, uh, of a wedding on Friday. And I have to say this, I have never seen a more stunning father of the bride in my life. Caught you out there. Nicole was stunning. I'm only joking. So disappointed to see Ian back in his skivvies again. He looks so well, man. Um, but it was it was incredible. Like truly, I truly felt the honour of being able to to conduct this ceremony. And actually, I felt the joy of being able to communicate to people who I don't always get the chance to communicate how remarkable Jesus is. And so that was my so like. I'm like Ian and Julie were there, and I hope, I hope that's what came across. But my deepest desire for that day was just to communicate, to communicate the goodness of Jesus. And in that moment, actually, as I was as I was sharing with the congregation, I became so aware that as hard as I try to exaggerate the goodness and the kindness and the love of Jesus, I will fall so far short. And I love that. Because I thought that I made him sound so good. And the thought that I wasn't even touching on how good he was is just incredible to me. And realizing as I looked around that, 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 uh, that group of people, that the father's yes was on every one of them. His yes was on every one of the people gathered at that wedding. And to be able to communicate that to people I don't always get a chance to, and actually communicate that to people who maybe not always get the chance to hear it, was important. I felt it was a really important moment. And, and do you know why I'm, I'm mentioning it? Because I have, I have realized that sometimes my understanding of church, or our understanding of church, is to build a community with people who pretty much agree on everything. That's, what we've, that's, how, we've, that's how we've built church. We've, we've iso- we've, it feels like we've isolated ourselves in our own silos and we, our understanding of church is to build a community. And there's churches, and we've built community, I think churches have built community well, they've built the idea of family well, but the problem, that, the problem I have, especially when I come to look and take, get a fresh glimpse of grace, is that we have built a community with people who pretty much agree on everything. And I think that becomes difficult for us. I think it so narrows our understanding of, our, of grace, or our, our narrows our appreciation of, of grace. And I love put the pinnacle of Paul's letter to the church, to the Romans, when he again, he's reminding us what can separate you from the love of Jesus? What can separate you from his yes being spoken over you? And Paul goes through a list of all of these things. Can this separate you? Can this separate you? And every time it's no, that is never going to be able to separate you. Nothing's going to be able to separate you from the love of Jesus.
And sometimes I think when we, we come to, to speak of grace and the amazing grace, the scandalous grace, we think it's, we, we sometimes I think convince ourselves it's, it's, all, it's only found in the dramatic. And we hear, we, hear we, give, we give the platform to people to come and tell their incredible testimonies. And I, like, I am a huge fan of testimonies. I love testimonies, people that were, in, that were so caught up in sin, addiction, the mess of their lives and found, uh, found an encounter with Jesus that has completely transformed their lives. And it's grace, it's amazing grace. But actually, as, I've, as, I, was, as I was writing through the, writing through the book and, and thinking back of, of my inheritance, thinking back of what I now walk in, I am astounded by grace. Because it is one, I can guarantee you that grace is found in the dramatic, but it is equally and I've underlined this, I've double underlined this in the book, it's equally found in the ordinary, in the seemingly ordinary. So on Thursday night, there's some of us, we went to Portadown Elam, and up on the wall, I'm sure Granny could tell me what it says word for word, but up on the wall, it, it has the foundation stone, or some stone was laid by Herbert Irwin, which is Granny's dad, dad's granda my great granda and then you begin to you, you, so you, you, and, and I always know that was there but in that moment I'm, I'm acknowledging that as I've been writing the book I've realised that remember, reminding myself of the church that granda planted in 1982 and, and then what dad has planted and pioneered and, and all of that and you sit back and you think like that's you, you sometimes you get up in, the, in environments to give your testimony and you think to yourself, well, I don't have an exciting testimony. I grew up in a Christian home and uh, drunk a bottle of beer when I was 14 and smoked a cigarette when I was 15 and but I came back to Jesus when I was 18. And, you know, like, and sometimes we think that in the mundane of all of that is, is I didn't have a drink of alcohol at 14, by the way, that was just a, was an analogy. Just like a, strike it from the record. Um, but in, I became so aware over the last number of weeks, astounded that that is all grace. Grace that I could stand and say, like, I don't have the mess. I don't have the exciting testimony. I don't have those seemingly radical moments. And sometimes we think our testimonies are inferior. And the reality is, the truth is that it's, that's all grace. I count it all grace. To, to have that inheritance to those foundations to be so rooted in, in my life and generation after generation, all grace. And so as I think of the church, as I think of the, the, this idea of the ecclesia being uh, a called out people for the welfare of uh, a town, a city, a region, a nation, this is, this is God's space for yes, this is his space for that welcome. This is his space with the called out people for the welfare of a place that we would communicate that his yes is for everyone. It's spoken over everyone. And I think we need to take hold of this again. 
take a hold of this in greater measure because you know as much as I do how our world desperately needs to experience grace. In a world of increasing competition, in a world of increasing judgment and of increasing ranking hierarchy, we need to communicate grace. The church needs to communicate grace. The the church needs to communicate the yes of God to our world. And I love, I love the fact that Jesus is our great example because he, he did that over and over again, right throughout the, the four gospels. Jesus was always communicating grace to a world that desperately needed to experience it. I think for me, as I think of, as I think of my walking with Jesus, so I think my journey in wrestling through some of the, the, the ideas that we are presented with in the scriptures, think of what it is to, to truly look like him. I become so aware that my problem has been the problem of many that right from the beginning, we cannot seem to resist including a few amendments to grace. We cannot seem to resist adding things on to grace. We want to add on a man-made tradition. We want to add on a a human system. We want to add on these extra loopholes that people have to jump through to be included. And so that is what is going on, I think, in this at this time that Paul writes the letter to the church, to the churches in Galatia. So if you're familiar with the, the, the narrative of the early church, the book of Acts, in Acts 15, we, we see this, this real wrestle that is going on within the church. And we see that Paul and Barnabas are desperate. Paul and Barnabas are desperate to offer a gospel Uh, a free gospel, gospel of grace that is free from all the cultural trappings, that is free from all the traditional trappings, and that found themselves at a real, excuse me, crossroads. Because Paul was coming to offer this gospel that was free of grace. He was coming to say that God's yes was over everyone. But the problem was is that there was these religious people that were literally coming in on the heels of Paul's ministry and after people had responded to this gospel of grace that was free from all of the loopholes, all of the extra amendments, they had come, we read in Acts 15 how they'd come and they said, if you are not circumcised the way that we have been told in the law of Moses that you must be circumcised, then you, that you have no part in this. You have no part in Jesus. You have no part in this story if you don't, if you don't follow our rules, if you don't follow our traditions. And it came to a real head-on battle between Paul and Barnabas and the, and, the, and the church in Jerusalem. And you know, I'm so grateful for James, the brother of Jesus. He was one of the leaders, he was one of the pillars in the, in the early church, of the church at Jerusalem. And I thank God for his wisdom that he was able to, keep, to, to say, to Paul and Barnabas, continue to do what you're doing. Continue down this road. The only thing I ask of you is that you remember the poor. And 
And so we're not going to read. We're not going to read huge chunks of this. We're just going to pick a few bits out of this letter that I think are important for what we're wanting to say today. Paul had had been through the, through Galatia. He'd been through all of these. He'd been through all of these communities. He'd set up all of these churches, and they were they had come to experience the the joy of of being set free from the things that had enslaved them. That experienced the kindness and the goodness of God. That experienced the yes being spoken over them, and they began to follow Jesus. They began to walk in the way. But as I've already said, these religious killjoys, these religious killjoys followed after Paul, undermining everything that he had preached. They undermined everything that he had preached. And so this beautiful gospel that Paul had shared with them, this beautiful gospel that that Paul had received, that he had been entrusted to, revelation from Jesus, to bring this gospel of grace free from all the cultural trappings, free from all the man-made traditions. Paul had been entrusted with that. And he came and preached it to the churches in Galatia. And and it pained him. You begin to read through that first chapter in Galatians how it pained him that these guys had come in after him and undermined everything that he had said. And and we're told that that in verse 6, Paul is he's astonished. He almost senses pain. I'm astonished how quickly he turned away. You'd experience freedom. You'd experience the moving of the Holy Spirit, and now you've turned back to the works of the law. You've turned back to the man-made traditions. You've, you've, you've been set free. You were enslaved by your, the gods of this world. You were enslaved by, by your sin. You were enslaved by all of this, and you were set free from it, and now you've went back, and now you're being enslaved by something different. You're being enslaved by the rules and the regulations. You're being enslaved by all of these traditional cultural trappings. Paul is trying to remind them. He's trying to communicate to them them once again, guys, you were called by grace. You were called by grace. And these these killjoys have come in behind me and they've tried to tell you that that you've been called by your performance. You've been called by your good works. You've been called by, by, your, by having all the right information, by having all the right knowledge, by performing in, the exact, in the exactly the right way. That's not how you were called. You were called by grace. It was all grace. The, the, I think it's the message version says that you were called and you were chosen out of sheer generosity. You were called and chosen out of sheer generosity. You're called and chosen because his, his, as he looked at you, as he looked at you, he said yes. As he looked at you, he placed such value and worth on each and every one of you that he went to the cross. It was out of his sheer generosity that you're called. It was out of his sheer generosity that you've been welcomed in, that you're now part of this called out people. And Paul goes on in, in that second chapter, in, our, in the second chapter to say, that he tells us, he's telling the churches about this battle that took place. He's reminding them that God does not judge by external appearance. And he tells them about how they were, uh, they had this out in the church in Jerusalem. And he says that Paul and Barnabas were given the right hand of fellowship by those pillars of the church because they recognized the grace that was given to them. 
See, see, thank God for James because James looked and he discerned, he had wisdom to know that in spite of Paul's background, in spite of all that Paul had done, that God's yes was on Paul. He recognized the grace that was on him. He recognized God's yes was on Paul to bring this good news to the Gentiles. And all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, which Paul was already eager to do. Let me read Galatians 2, verse 19 and 21. I just want to read it from the, from the message, if that's okay. What actually took place is this. I, I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion, and I'm no longer driven to impress God. What revelation. What a place to get to. I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. And the life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then and the message version, it says, and I am not going back on that. I am not going back on the fact that Christ now lives in me. His yes is on me. The life I now live is gone. And is now lived by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. See, if we're just to dip into, into the into Colossians for a moment. In Colossians, again, in Paul's introductory, introductory remarks to the church, he says that I am hearing that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing since the day you heard it and truly understood grace. The gospel, Paul's saying, in, in this part of the world, through this community of called out people for the welfare of this part of the world that they're living in. He's saying the gospel is bearing fruit and it is growing since the day that you heard about it and you truly understood his grace. You truly understood God's grace. And, I, and again, I think it's so important. I think that is so important because for me, I, I am convinced, I believe that understanding this, some of what we're saying this morning, understanding grace is foundational to all spiritual growth. It's foundational to all spiritual growth. And I think, and we'll, we'll look at it in a moment, but in Galatians chapter five, we have the, what it is, the, I think, to understand grace, the fruit of the spirit, the foundation for spiritual growth. I think the foundation, if we know that we've truly understood grace, it'll be evident in our love and joy and peace and our patience and, and kindness and self-control and and, and all of that. Galatians chapter four, verse three. Let me get to that. 
when we were children, we were in we were in slavery under the basic principles of this world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. And here again, I, I feel like chapter after chapter, I'm, I'm possibly just repeating myself, but here again, Paul is saying, you, you were trapped in fearful superstition. It caused you to live the way that you were living. It caused you to make these sacrifices to gods who weren't, did not exist. You were enslaved to those basic principles, to those things of the world, to those, to those teachings that you had inherited. You were trapped in that fearful superstition. And because the gospel of grace came, you were no longer slaves, you were free. And can you imagine the pain of, that Paul was experiencing whenever he looked and heard testimony of how they were now making their way back to slavery? They were making their way back to being trapped in, it wasn't the same superstition, but it was the same, it was the same principle. They were once again returning to the superstition. They were once again being trapped, being enslaved to these to the law that these uh, religious killjoys were following after him, undermining all that he had preached. And it's in us all. It's, it's, always, been, it's always been part of, of what it is to be human, I think. Human beings, as, as human beings, we've always seemed to turn beliefs into a system. We create another system we create uh, uh, another method we create another tradition we create another hurdle that people have to jump over and without realizing that once again we enslave ourselves and, and those around us when we place our our systems on people. When we, play, when we place our traditions on people, not only does that, I think, does that reveal that we are still enslaved, but we are enslaving those around us. I think we are not communicating grace to people. We are communicating to people, if you will follow a certain way, if you will think a certain way, if you will behave a certain way, then, then you're in. Then you're part of this. And I know that nobody, I don't think anybody in this room will actually outright use those words, but I think there's sometimes in me, I know it's in me, that I can communicate something in such a way that my system of belief or my tradition is superior to yours. And if you don't match with what I believe and what I think, then you can't be part of this. You need to, you need to still work things out. You still need to go on a journey, but I somehow believe that my revelation is more superior than yours, and, and, and almost that begins to enslave people around us. We can become so reliant, I think, on our systems and our traditions that we think that righteousness can be gained through what we do. And the problem with that is, is that Paul says it in chapter two, at the end of chapter two, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, if righteousness could be gained through our traditions, through our systems, then Christ died for nothing. 
I felt the sting of that. Like I, they, these, Second Corinthians, or Galatians chapter 2, verse 21 is one of those verses that you memorize. It's one of those popular verses you memorize growing up. But I felt like as I read it again yesterday that I felt the sting of it again. I felt the sting of that whenever you go back, revert back to those systems and traditions that, and you think your, your approval, your affirmation, your righteousness is going to begin through any of that, then Christ died for nothing. And the, and, the, and as the letter goes on, Paul is continuing to say, guys, you've, you've, you've walked away from grace. You're moving away from grace in verses 8 to 11 of chapter 4. In verses 21, he is saying you're alienating yourself from grace. We get to chapter 5. You're alienating yourself from grace. You've fallen from grace. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. And, and I think it's important to point this out. Freedom is given not so that sin would abound. We've sang that this morning. I can't remember what the line was though, but we did sing it. But the, the other part of the line was that where grace is found is where you are. Where sin runs deep, your grace runs more. Isn't that right? Two nods. I'm going to take the two nods. Where grace is found is where you are. And freedom is not given. And I hope that you're not hearing that this morning. Freedom is not given so that we can go and do whatever we want. Paul was horrified. You see it throughout the letter in Romans like guys, if you think that if you think grace has been given so you can go and sin more, then you're like you're not on the same page. We're still we still need to work through some stuff here. But Paul, I think he he begins to hit the nail on the head in in, in verse thirteen or fourteen of chapter five. The freedom has been given. Freedom has been given in order that you would serve one another in love. And again, I think that's what it means to be the ecclesia. I think that's what it means to be the church. People called out. A free people called out. People that have experienced grace, that have experienced this freedom that comes from understanding grace. It's been given to us that in our freedom, we would then serve one another in love. See, our freedom is, is orientated towards the, to the receiver. Our freedom has been given so that it would be orientated towards the receiver towards those that we are engaging with. That's really important. Because I, and I, I almost feel like I can sense the freedom of that because now I don't have to bring a person into my agenda. I don't have to bring a person into my particular fellowship in order to love him or her. We don't have to do that. I think maybe some of us have been convinced that we have to do that. In order to love people really well, in order to serve them really well, we need to bring them into our agenda. We need to bring them into our particular fellowship, but we don't have to do that. See, the, that's why I think the foundation that we started with is really important. God, the foundation is that God says yes to all of us. And, the, and I think that's important foundation because then that's what we use in order to learn how to say yes. We then learn to say yes to those that he has placed significant value and worth on. That becomes our starting point. That becomes our foundation. 
not bringing them into our agenda and then, not bringing them into our particular fellowship and then, but to love them, to love them, to serve them. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free in order to serve one another in love, in order to serve in love. And it's according to their needs and it's according to where they're at. That's important. This is, this is so important for me. Freedom has been given. I've got, I, I get to experience grace. I get to understand grace in order that I would serve others. And I, I'm able to serve others according to their needs and according to where they're at. And I love the idea of grace, that grace meets us where, where we're at, but it doesn't, it, does, it doesn't keep us there. But it meets us where we're at. And that's, where, and that's what I want to do as we begin to engage increasingly with this community. I want to serve them and love them according to their needs and where they're at. As I've said, evidence, I think, of understanding grace, of how we are understanding what it is to truly emulate the most grace-filled person that ever walked the earth is in the fruit of the Spirit, being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that's, that same chapter goes on to say, and uh, again, back to the message version, it says in verse 25, since this is the kind of life that we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads or a sentiment, sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implication in every detail of our lives. And this, I think, is really important. That means that we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another were worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each one of us is an original. Love it. And so then the, the chapter goes on, the letter goes on in, verse, in chapter six. And I would encourage you to read it. It's, I know it's six, six chapters sounds long and we put that in our devotional for the next six days, but, but I promise you it will take you 15 minutes, 15 or 20 minutes to read through, to read through it. Or if you, if you don't want to read through it, stick it, get one of the apps and then hit the play button and just let it, some man with a nice silky voice read you the six chapters of Galatians. And you begin to, as you get towards the end of chapter six, you begin to realize, actually, I think I've been using wrong measurements. I've been using measurements that are so focused on law, not on grace. This is how he begins to wrap his letter up. He reminds the church that he has, he see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly, outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. Their agenda, they're, they're, what they're trying to do is to bring you in on their agenda, is to bring you in on their system of beliefs. And then, then they'll love you. Then they'll allow you to experience what it is to, to be a part of the family of God. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, that yet they want you to be circumcised, that they may boast about your flesh. And I could go off on a tangent here because this is where some of that stuff has become personal for me. Because I have realized that actually whenever I create an agenda 
that people have to enter in on. When I create, elevate my tradition or elevate my system, I have realized that actually that's out of a place of insecurity. It reveals a deep insecurity in me. Because I want people to be a part of that so then I have something to boast about. Something to boast about because you've gathered people in around your agenda. You've gathered more people in around your thing. We don't want to do that. We don't want to communicate that. As Paul says at the end of his letter, may I never know anything. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation? What counts is a new creation? What counts is that God has started something? What counts is that he said, ultimately he said yes. He's placed, the cross reminds us that he's placed such value and worth on each person that we will meet. He said yes over them. And so we, our freedom has been given that we would love them according to their needs and to where they're at. And then peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul is desperate for the churches to look like Jesus. And I think it's why he speaks with such emotion, with such depth, with such strength of, of words. And I love this quote, or I love this quote from Bob Goff. I'll finish with this. Grace never seems fair until you need a little. So Father, I thank you for grace. God, forgive us for how we've almost just made it, another word, how we've almost made it almost a bit cliched at times. Father, I pray that we just would get uh, a revelation, a fresh revelation of how you see us today, a fresh revelation of your longing for us to experience your mercy and your peace and your joy. And for us to take hold of that in such a way, for us to truly understand grace in such a way that it would that we would begin to see it bear fruit and grow. God, I pray that our understanding of grace would just transform how we how we see and how we engage with people around us who desperately need uh, desperately need grace communicated to them. And so, God, we just are continuing to lean in, into you. Jesus, we're continuing to lean into you for discernment and wisdom for how we lead people towards your life and towards your truth. God, forgive me. Forgive us, God, for maybe we've, we've leaned in on our, we've leaned in on the security of our, of our systems, of our traditions. And uh, God, help us. God, there is a part of me that I, want to, I still want to say that we're grateful for some of the things that we have inherited. Some of the important things, God, that we have inherited, but please don't let them be the thing that would cause a blockage to people experiencing grace. Please don't allow those things that are important, those traditions that maybe are important to some of us. God, we're not just going to throw them all out. I've got to pray that people hear that actually right now, that we're not throwing them all out just for the sake of it but we're not going to allow them to be a barrier. We're not going to be allow them to be a blockage for people experiencing your mercy and your grace and your kindness. 
And so help us, God, help us. Lord, I need you. We need you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.